Another fantastic show ahead. We're talking to Beverly Gaines. She's a 75-year-old woman of color from the Northeast. Uh, She was a registered ICU nurse. We cover things such as racism, uh, parenting, red tail, Tuskegee Airmen, nuns and rulers. This is a jam-packed one yet again. Stick with us. Everything is fueled from me wanting to be a better person on Earth. It's time to do your part. I don't want you to dream. I want you to do it. Tap into the conversation. Check one, two. As we cover the latest issues affecting our communities and the world. It is absolutely vital that the truth comes out. Resolve your unconscious bias and grow from firsthand experiences. Is your mind truly free or is it caged? This is Do Your Part with Brian Gallo. Welcome back, everybody. As always, we have exciting guests. I need to uh, grab a thesaurus and find new words to use to describe uh, these beautiful people that are here today. The sensational Beverly Gaines, another friend of mine uh, here in the Coachella Valley, and she brought her beautiful dog. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. We got to spend some time before we sat down today, and I'm just thrilled that you are here with me, and I've been looking forward to this. So, Let me ask you this. I always ask my guests, first and foremost, when I ask you to to be a part of this, why did you say yes? Um, There needs to be a voice. There needs to be a voice uh, that people don't particularly ask um, each other part of their backstory, Mm -hmm. you know, or get to know them. And uh, for my whole life, people have just looked at me and assumed things. And then keep on going. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to share things that uh, about me, the things that I see, things that I feel, mm-hmm. that I think people should know, mm-hmm. and broaden the experience. When you say assumptions that people made of you, I know this is kind of just a very direct right off of the bat question, but mm-hmm. what were some of those assumptions that people made of you throughout your life? Throughout my life? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> There's a lot, right? Because this is kind of what we all do. Yes, yes. Um, the assumptions that I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And yet, five or ten minutes later, somebody else will say exactly the same thing. And everybody's, oh, that's a wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. Of course, they were a different color mm-hmm. than I am. So it wasn't reduced to you being a woman. It was re- it was probably reduced to you being a woman and a woman of color, right? No, um, because other women were were treated differently, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> just I wasn't worth listening to. Mm-hmm. And um, the comments that they would make, and uh, you know, you always felt that I always felt like um, there were a lot of men who lorded over me mm-hmm. just because they could. Mm-hmm. The, um, the men and women who didn't see my color but saw who I was and listened to me were few and far in between. Mm-hmm. So especially since um, I've come here and I'm branded a senior. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, seniors, you see, it feels like we're being patted on the head, and now you can go over in the corner and sit down, twiddle your thumbs. You know, you can't, you can't do anything else because y- you're not tech savvy, you're not up on the news, and you know the younger people have just taken off and you can't relate to them at all but you seem to defy some of the stuff that you're referring to because you are a bit tech savvy and you are uh we talked about this before we started the podcast you don't seem to uh be really reduced to an age you know so is this is this this is how you view other people or is this is this is your experience as well this is my experience wow let me take a step back when you were talking about these assumptions and you know being patted on prior to being patted on the head but just a lot of this what we call mansplaining are you you referring to your professional life solely correct no um quite a bit in my professional life 
But now that I'm not in my professional life, um, men around my age, mm-hmm. um, they have grown up in that um, male domination society. Mm-hmm. This is what they've been taught. And they don't know how to change it. So you don't necessarily blame them. It's just what they know. <clears throat> That's a tough question. I, I understand it's what they know. Mm-hmm. What I blame them for is that when I say no, they don't stop. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to understand that they can change. Mm-hmm. Something tells me that if you were to say no more than twice, that Beverly can see red real quick and will we'll let somebody have it. Is that right? That's just what my gut tells me. Yes, but I'm very, very patient. Uh-huh. Because I've taken care of patients who, you know, one man fell off a second-story roof and he was building a house. Mm-hmm. And, boy, was he out of it for weeks. Mm-hmm. Thought I was his mother, et cetera, et cetera. So I've had patients, all kinds of patients, in all kinds of um, mental uh, levels. Mm -hmm. And challenged by people's (coughs) mental uh, disabilities and mishaps. Let's do this, because again, we're all over the board. Everybody knows that who tunes in, I jump all over the place. But we always get back to where we need to be. Right. Tell us about your upbringing, because when you talk about patients, obviously you worked in healthcare. I'm assuming, but let's give me. I want the backstory from birth. I want to know where you were raised. I want to know what it was like where you were raised. Your siblings, your family, uh, it, what it was like being a woman of color where you were raised. Give me all of that and take your time with it, please. Okay, this is very interesting. I was um, born in um, 1945. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm an old one. <laughs> so 75. <laughs> 45. Well, you but that, but doing the math it yes, would make I'm, you 70. I'm 75 years old. Lynn, look at um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit I'll hit on you later. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> 1945. Yes, uh, February 1st, 1945. Mm-hmm. I was born at Mitchell Field Air Force Base in Hempstead, Long Island. Mm. Now, if you try to look that up. It's, it's now called the Historic Hempstead Plains. Okay. Because um, Hofstra College has um, bought up, slowly but surely, all of that. And so there's no building left. Mm-hmm. There's no runway left. But, you know, I think it's kind of important because <clears throat> back there, um, it was the Army Air Corps. Mm. And... Um, uh, my father came home. He was uh, one of the original Tuskegee Airmen Red Tails. Whoa. Yes. Okay. And wow. <clears throat> uh, he came home from a prisoner of war when I was four months old. And um, and mom told me there was one time in, during the winter she was. Uh, walking me in the stroller and um, let me see if I can get this right she told me Joe Bonanno came up and admired me and said what a beautiful baby and gave her five dollars to buy me a rattle I know I never saw that rattle (laughs) 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 because in those days five dollars was a lot of money Mm -hmm. Joe um, Bonanno, was he, he was a mobster, right? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. Um, so we lived with my grandmother in Hempstead. Um, and I know I played with a lot of kids around there. I didn't have any problem. But when I was four, um, Daddy entered Meharry Medical School down in Nashville, Tennessee. So we would drive down and stay down there. And this is where it gets interesting. Um, I made friends with the three or two 
girls that lived under us. I remember one girl's name was Pat. And one day they took me to school with them. And uh, shortly after that, I went to, uh, to a Catholic school. Well, they tested me for the first grade and I was too knowledgeable. So they tested me for the second grade and I was too knowledgeable. So they put me in the third grade. <clears throat> and I don't remember them telling me anything. And, and during those days, parents didn't talk to their children. Mm -hmm. They just, the parents did something and the kid went along with mm -hmm. it. So <clears throat> my mother dressed me very nice. And I remember sitting in the back of a classroom. And the nun is walking back and forth in front of the class with her ruler, you know, just slapping it in her hand. Mm -hmm. And she had said, if you have to go to the bathroom, please raise your hand. And I did. And I was raising it, and I was waving it. And I sat there until my body couldn't hold it anymore. And then she came to me and she snapped, she snatched my wrist and pulled me up in front of the class. And she said, you see, children, this is what happens when you don't raise your hand. And I looked up at her and in my mind I was saying, you're a liar. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what was said, if there was anything said to my parents. I don't know what they said back and forth. I don't remember anything after that. But that started. And I was five years old, maybe five and a half. Mm -hmm. That started it. It was your first memory of being treated differently because of your color. Yes. That started it. And go on. How, so did you stay in, um, you said Tennessee? Well, uh, Daddy was in school for four years. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, on the holidays, we would drive back to Hempstead. And uh, when the holidays were over, we'd drive back down there. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I was a very shy child. Um, I thought more aggressive than I was. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, something would come out of my mouth. And I don't know who said that. <laughs> but, you know, it got the point across. Mm -hmm. And so I was very good at keeping my mouth shut. But people who know me today know that I endure a lot. They think I'm very quick to lose my temper. But no, I endure a lot. But when I have had my limit, I drop the mic. Mm -hmm. And don't come at me anymore. Sounds like you spent a lot of your life kind of being on the quiet side. And so you're, you know, you're taking the, the rest of your life to do the opposite. Right. I'm setting boundaries. Uh -huh. Because there's so many times in my life my parents have done things, haven't told me, haven't explained things to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, what? What? Mm -hmm. How can you blame me for not helping my mother do chores around the house when she says, no, Beverly, you can't help me? That's, a, that's like, what is going on? So let's let's so t tell us a little more about your parents and did you have siblings and get, paint us a picture about with that a little bit. Yeah, um, <clears throat> my father. You, know, you you can find a picture of him in um, the Tuskegee Airmen and a couple of other books about them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, when he got out of the service, he went to medical school, became a surgeon. Um, you guys were like the Huxtables. 
I mean, right? <laughs> a progressive black family who's, you know, a surgeon. That's a big deal then, right? Well, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Because um, I really believe from my father's temperament that my brothers and I suffer from PTSD. Mm, how so? Because he wasn't a soft-spoken, easy to listen, um, easy to understand person. So he always came at me, at least, uh, with an angry face and mm. a loud voice. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that I was supposed to be the boy. Mm -hmm. And I'm the girl and I'm the oldest. I'm nine years older than my next brother. Mm. But I'm treated like, and he said this to me in the 90s, the best I can wish for you, Beverly, is to get married and be taken care of. Wow. And instantly I said, yeah, that's what I'd like too. <laughs> and then at the same time I'm thinking, this is the 90s. What mm -hmm. are you talking about? I can take care of myself. <laughs> You know, um, but I knew my father meant that genuinely from his heart. But that was his upbringing. Mm -hmm. That was where he came from. Um, in my childhood, he wasn't soft at all. And as soon as my brother came along, both my mother and my father became much softer to the boys. I have two younger brothers. So what they did, they did with the boys. They didn't communicate with me. So you were like black sheep? Yes. I was, you know, when I left, I graduated high school at 16. And um, after summer, vac summer vacation, I was put on a train to a woman's college in Auburndale, Massachusetts. Not I, by choice? I didn't know. Well, no, I did know because mm. I had put out some applications. And I chose that school to begin with because they had told me I would be the only uh, Negro at the school. And so you wanted to go for, because of that reason? Yes. What? I did because I felt like if they're going to be that open about it, um, I felt that I would have less of a problem there than if I went to any other school because they were open and honest. And did that ring true once you got there? Yes. Wow. Yes, it did. So you being the only person, woman of color there, and you had a good experience. Yes. This I is was, unbelievable. <laughs> yes. The nursing. Nobody um, cornered you. No girls calling you names. None of that. No teachers <laughs> giving you bad grades for no reason. Well, there were, there were some <laughs> girls that left the school because of me. Yeah, okay. And one of my best friends was a strawberry, uh, strawberry blonde. Mm -hmm. And people got to calling me her name and calling her my name. Because y'all look so much alike? Well, they asked us if we were sisters. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, we just got along famously. But there were, there were students that didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just looked at the other, you know, to ourselves and shrugged our shoulders. Mm -hmm. well, what else can you do? That's right. Let me ask you this. And again, we'll stay on topic. I, I won't let us go too far off. But mm -hmm. as far as passing is concerned, because you are light complected, were you ever at a point in these years where you were you were able to pass, or did people know right off the bat that you were black? I didn't. I didn't know anything about passing. Uh, wow, because you didn't need to. I. Or you I were just naive to it. I was very naive to it uh -huh. because my folks never sat down and told me mm -hmm. what. I was up against. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that. Um, when I went to junior high, um, we lived in Levittown. 
New York. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a there's been a big um, it's in the history things that Levittown, you know, was built by a millionaire. Mm. And there were people who wanted who ganged up and petitioned to try to get us not to live there. But because this is the scary stuff that I'm expecting to hear. Right. Was there rage attached to this with people or was it all kind of under the hat quiet? I don't know. Uh My parents would probably know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't, you know, I didn't do, you know, get it that way. But what I got was since I was the only person of color in the entire school district. My goodness. Entire school district. Um. The parents told their children to have nothing to do with me. So we were close enough to the school that we walked to school. So there would be groups of kids in front of me and groups of kids behind me, respectable distance, (laughs) six feet. (laughs) And there I was walking by myself. But no one was outright mean to you. No. Wow, good. No, and at one Thank point, God. one point, uh, there were some girls walking behind me, and one ran up, and she said, Beverly, you're Jewish, aren't you? And I said, no. She said, well, well what are you? I said, I'm a Negro. And she dropped back to her friends. And when I told my mother, my mother said, what did you say? I said, I told her I was a Negro. You did? What was I supposed to tell her? Mm -hmm. You know, I never got talk about my race and things could happen and stuff like that. Do you think that your parents didn't have these talks with you or or sit you down or explain things to you because they were trying to shield you and protect you? Or was was it just because they were too busy and didn't care? What What do you think the reasoning was as to why they didn't have these conversations with you? I have no idea. Because you have kids, you know the importance of it. If it's a five-minute conversation or if it's a five-hour conversation, Mm -hmm. right? You understand the importance of it. Yes. I wonder why they didn't have these talks with you. Do you think they did with your brothers? Um, They probably did, but I think my brothers were so outgoing Mm -hmm. that they knew all that stuff beforehand. Mm -hmm. And, And my brothers are very outgoing. You know, mm-hmm. so they were already kicking butt and taking names. Mm-hmm. Right. No fear. No fear. This is not the story that I think, again, we talked about assumptions right from the be- from the beginning of the podcast. And mm-hmm. I think that a, a woman who was born in 1945, a woman of color uh, here in the United States, I don't think that these are the stories that people would assume would come out of your mouth. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. Because I w- always was the only person of color wherever I went my my parents purposefully um, moved to neighborhoods uh, middle to upper class Mm -hmm. and the last time they moved that I was with them they said they did it so that I would have a chance to go to the junior prom and the senior prom. I was petrified because the school was like half and half. I was petrified because I didn't know anything about the, about the black race. I said, those people have a different culture. Mm-hmm. Even though you identified as Negro, you didn't associate with... I did black I, folks. All of all of that time I never associated with black folks. I said they have a different culture, they talk differently, they dress differently. I said I don't fit in. And I didn't fit in with the white folks either. But I dressed more like the white folks, mm-hmm. which is what my parents wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. But I was scared to death. And I said, this is absurd. Mm -hmm. 
Did you find later in life that you started to seek out black culture? Um, I liked being around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm finding housing now. Um, I can go and see, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. But again, I feel separated. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I just feel, I, I, I don't know how to manipulate it. I don't know how to do it. Now my caregiver, she comes in five days a week and she's black. And we click like crazy. Mm -hmm. I love her. She loves me. Mm -hmm. And I could I could get into the culture with her mm -hmm. because, as you know, there are prejudices within our race. Mm -hmm. You know, most definitely. Yes. Way more than people think. Talk about assumptions. Yes. Let me let me take you back to school, senior prom, et cetera, as you were kind of this, I don't want to use the word token because token means that people are kind of accepting of you, but you were kind of this lone ranger through this experience. If you're comfortable, tell me a bit about, A, did you go to junior or senior prom? And B, did you go with somebody of color or did, did white men date you? Did people take interest in you? Were you always this lone ranger in school? <laughs> did you end up being prom queen? I mean, All of my years in school, I went on one date. Mm, okay, including college. I mean, uh, yes. Okay. Um, let's say, um, I'm trying to think. A senior asked me, no. A junior asked me to the junior prom. Mm hmm And that was it. Did you go? Oh, uh, yeah. Was I it went. magical? No. <laughs> You did not pause on that one. Why was it just just to appease us? Why was it not magical? It's supposed to be. Because I just stood there like a like a stump, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, he was off, you know, talking to people he knew and everything mm -hmm. else like that, and I'm just standing there. I mm -hmm. didn't know who to go up and try to talk to. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to know, but I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So, no, it was not magical. <laughs> All right. It's, but still, at the end of the day, it sounds like your high school and your school experience was a little magical. Um, yes, in the fact that I learned how to start um, putting boundaries around myself. Mm-hmm and learning to defend myself. You know, there were a lot of bullies around. One boy wanted to fight me after school. A boy? Yes. Okay. And the principal came out and broke us up. And so I went home and I told my father and my father took my hand and we walked up to the school and the principal was sitting there in his desk And I, Daddy was talking to him, and then the principal leaned back in his chair. And all I remember him saying, did she tell you that she said she could beat him up? Okay, it's irrelevant, but go ahead. And my father was silent. And we turned around and we left the school. And there was nothing else said. Meaning what? You asked for it? Um, I don't know if, if it was your daughter caused it mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, if he was jabbing it to my father. Um, if my father was just sucking it up. I don't know. I don't remember. But. I think it was another notch in my belt that I caused my father some difficulty. Mm -hmm. 
But he certainly didn't, as far as I'm concerned, he certainly did not back me. You know. Well, it looked like so. he initially was going to by grabbing you and walking you down there. Right. Your parents sound very, very interesting. Yes. I wonder what, what, it'd be interesting to interview them and hear what their backstory was. Yeah. And where a lot of their reasoning comes from. Um, <clears throat> I want to kind of segue into more of your adult life and a little bit about how we're viewing racism today versus kind of your upbringing. And do you have, do you think you have a different version of racism compared to other people of color? Given the fact that you didn't have like crosses burning on your yard, or you know what I mean? Yeah, when we moved to Atlanta, my second husband and I, he was so fearful that there was going to be a cross Can you, burning I, please, on his I don't blame front him. yard. Did it happen? No. Good. But he was scared of it. <laughs> yes. And again, that really that speaks to that in, inherent fear that black people, especially black men, we kind of have, right? Because I don't, I'm not afraid that someone's going to burn a cross on my lawn, but I am also not. I'm concerned that for my safety a lot of the time, you know, mm-hmm. modern times. So talk about that then and now. Um, I wasn't fearful of that um, at all. When I lived in Georgia, I loved it, but I also didn't go out alone at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that Sandy had been... Um, investigated by the FBI, you know, for his clearance. And that intrigued our neighbors quite a bit, but we never, they never talked to us. Mm -hmm. Um, I forgot the original question. No, 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 (laughs) it's fine. No, it's fine. Again, it's just really, it's, and it's a tough question I'm asking you. So there, but there isn't going to be really a specific answer, but we're looking at the comparison between kind of just racism then, right? Even living in Atlanta, you talking about, it was a good experience, but you couldn't leave at night. And then what about today? Do you still have, you don't have those same concerns, do you? I I do more so because of my age Mm -hmm. and because I'm a little woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, because of medical reasons, I no longer have my good upper body strength. Yeah. No, I get it. So and people are crazy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll sick bocce on them. Oh, little bocce. Bocce almost bit me, by the way, <laughs> with love. Um, let, let, let me rephrase. Let, I'm not going to rephrase this because I'm going to ask you just in a different form. But okay. when we're looking at racism then and now, um, has it changed a bit? Did you think when you were seeing like the movement with Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, did you actually be, were you able to relax a bit? And then seeing things now, like, does this surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, because all through the years, well, let's go back to the originally, the original slaves mm-hmm. that stood on, on our earth. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing was started by let's take the men out of the picture. They're the stronger ones. They're the ones that lead the families. Let's take them down because without them, the women and the children will be weak. Mm. I never thought about it like this, right? But yeah. It's like paralyzing the family. Right, because there were so many... So many people who died before they got on the slave ships, mm-hmm. and then they died during the crossing. Mm-hmm. And then, if anybody lived, they were torn from the families, mm-hmm. and they were sent dispersed, so they couldn't get back to their families. They couldn't be a a family unit, mm-hmm. and the men were always angry. Mm-hmm. Well, who wouldn't be? Yeah. And the women didn't have the same strength, the same power, but they did what they could, Mm -hmm. you know, and they taught their children. Mm -hmm. So it's happening again. Take out the men. Take out the men. I never thought about this. Yeah. And black women even today are scared for their sons. Mm-hmm. That we know, yeah. 
because it's the same thing. If you kill the little ones, they'll never grow up to be the men. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to the women? Ah, you can cut them down anytime you want. Mm-hmm. But without the men there, oh, we can be sneaky. And we can lie. And we can discredit the women. Mm-hmm. Wow. That makes me angry. That's the same thing today. When, when they do their little things to change things, to deny loans, to deny um, uh, funding, to take away uh, certain parts of Social Security, mm-hmm. To Voter suppression. Yes. Gerrymandering. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you you can't afford this. Uh, you don't qualify for uh-huh. this. This you isn't know. for you, basically. Right. 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 And. Those things have I, never changed. It's still that way today. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they're still doing what they're doing. You can pass bills that help the black women and help the black men and the families. But what happens? Ah, the police department, oh, I thought he had a knife. Mm-hmm. Let's shoot him seven times in the back. In front of his three kids. In front of his three kids. Mm-hmm. Do you really need to shoot seven times? Mm-hmm. While the kid in Kenosha uh, is walking around with a gun and the cops are literally driving by and asking where the shooter is, uh-huh. speaking to the shooter. Yes. And an hour before that, they were offering him water, saying, we appreciate you being out here. You're doing a good job. Yeah. 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 If that was a black man mm-hmm. doing that, he would have been shot down. There'd be no story to tell. He'd just be dead. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you think, I always ask guests this, do you think that we can start to have hope? Do you think that this is the uh, the calm before the storm or the lull? But, you know, are we at the, you know, what goes down must come up? Are we on the upswing? Do you have hope? I do have hope. Mm-hmm. I do have hope because as Martin Luther King showed, he wanted the peaceful resistance. It's hard to have peaceful resistance, knowing that somebody's going to come up and shoot you at any time. But I have hope when I see um, family, neighbors, friends coming up and having a prayer vigil. And they're, they're singing spiritual songs mm-hmm. and they're praying. And, um, you know, as much as it hurts, I, 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 I wish that there would just be more peace and love and forgiveness. Because the more excuses the police can use, you know, it's almost like they're saying, well, you're going to do this. I'm going to show you I can do worse. The good Lord has got to do something. And I think he is. It's just that we don't understand what he's doing. But the anger has got to stop. The anger has got to stop. That's, it's not, then the police have n- nothing to focus on. Mm-hmm. No excuse. No excuse. So that's my hope. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. But, right. mm-hmm. um, but when you say the anger has to stop, I mean, this is, I was just having a conversation. It seems like every day I'm talking with somebody else about, um, <clears throat> anger around me. I spoke with my uncle on the way here and he said, uh, you know, he's in North Carolina and he said, so mm-hmm. what's going on where you are in Southern California? Is it that same kind of angry energy? Are people angry? And that's such a weird question to answer. Mm-hmm. And I was able to actually give him an answer, which is, eh, you know, I just did this cross country trek and um, 
a lot of people are angry. A lot of people in Southern California, my experience was people were too focused on what they were doing. But there is a lot of anger just happening. It's like nothing we've ever felt or seen. Mm -hmm. Quite scary times to be living in. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Lives Matter. Tell me a bit about what that means to you and kind of where the message has been contorted uh, as we're moving through 2020. Well, it's a life. It's a soul. And it really, you know, it's just because it's black. You know, if you were to skin that person and skin a white person, it's the same thing underneath. Mm -hmm. There's nothing different. So, you know, when one of the white people dies, it's just as bad as when a black person dies. I worked for almost 30 years in intensive care, being a a registered nurse. And when people came in in and were my patient, I used to say they have one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. And my job was to see they didn't slip. It didn't matter what color they were, what country they were from, what language they spoke, (laughs) how evil they were. That was a life, and it mattered. It mattered to the nurses, it mattered to the doctors, it mattered to their family if they had some, they mattered to friends if they had some, And it certainly mattered to the person that was laying in that bed. Mm -hmm. They had the same, well, in my days, we called them Johnnies, (laughs) but that same thin cotton garment on. Mm -hmm. They were covered with the same sheet. And... Why would you want to only treat one color of people and, and refuse to, pe- to treat any other color? Because they don't matter. Or maybe we treat all of the other colors, and we wouldn't treat white people. That's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. Black people, mixed black people, (laughs) people who look very, very white, but their DNA says, oh, you're mostly black. You know who you are. (laughs) You're listening. That's so very true. Mm -hmm. Every life matters. But when you think from the beginning of this country, this country was built on the backs of black people. I'm not excluding all of the others, the Mm -hmm. Chinese, the Italians, Mm -hmm. the... Um, Irish. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not excluding them. But you had an awful lot of black people picking cotton mm-hmm. and taking care of your houses and raising your children, cooking your food. For generations. And more. Yeah. Why doesn't their life matter to you? So, if I was still working in the ICU, oh, I can pick my patients out. I don't want to take care of her because she's white. Mm-hmm. I want to take care of him because he's black. Really? That's ridiculous. Right. I mean, just, the, just envisioning that is comical. Yes, it's exactly. Ban- it's bananas, absurd. Yes. I'm there to save lives. Yeah. 
and the Black Lives Matter just as much as every other life. So why doesn't it matter to you just as much? Why do you hate? Why do you hate? Why do you beat somebody when they're down? Why do you throw them water when they're drowning? That's evil. That's pure evil. Why do you think people, where do you think that comes from? It's taught, it's, 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 a, it's a mindset, people hold on to this. It's, why do you think people are so angry and choose evil? Well. Is it easier? <laughs> I don't think it's easier. It's not easier, but you know, this is the first time I've left my apartment really since March. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> you're welcome. You're special. <laughs> um, and you get to watching all the stuff on Netflix and Prime and all of that stuff. And they've got things like interview with the serial kill, uh, killer. Right. And Confessions of a murderer. Yes, yeah. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are very interesting. When you hear their backstory, mm-hmm. how did they start? What, what did they do when they were children? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these people, when they were children, they had that hate going. Mm-hmm. And people ignored it. People that kid in it. Kenosha, there was hate all over, smattered all over his social media, and all, you know, and people ignored it. Exactly. With like ten misdemeanors and all, you know, going. Yes, yes. You know, there's, there's people, there's. I, I, no, I should say, um, I shouldn't divide uh, people, but there's people roaming around today. They may have a high-powered job. They may have a. Uh, a, a middle level job, they may have uh, a low level job or no job. But if you're talking to yourself, I think you better be checked out. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, you're just muttering and everything else right. like that. But, yeah, and I always say if you answer back, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Because as I get older, I too talk. To, I mutter to myself. <laughs> Note to self: Do not answer. Answer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, some of these people, you look at them and oh, he was such a nice guy. Oh, she was so nice, and everything else like that. But you know, sometimes when you think something's a little off then maybe you may better keep a notepad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and ask you a very uh, direct question. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned direct, uh, uh, using a notepad, kind of helping yourself. What are some ways that people can kind of, how do you keep yourself healthy? What are some ways that people can kind of get introspective? Because we talked about using time during COVID to slow down a bit and be introspective. What does introspection look like and how can people do that? Well, First of all, slowing down means just that, you Mm. know, you don't run at the same speed you were running when you were going to work. It means sitting down. Maybe the music is very low. Uh, Maybe you just have silence for a while Mm -hmm. and start thinking about, okay, what am I doing? Is that really what I want to do? Why would I want to do that? Is that going to benefit me? Who else is it going to benefit? Is that going to be harmful? Is this job the way I want to go, really? Mm-hmm. Is, it going to make, is it going to make my life better? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to... St- Stop and think. 
I feel like what you just described was like self-inventory. And I like, I love all that. The Mm -hmm. what, the why. I mean, is it? Are you happy? You know, do you love what you're doing? Are you benefiting other people? Is your, are you passionate about all these things? Go on. Right. I I have a a thing at home that says, do what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. It's important. Right. And because everybody can change. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to change. Right. But the capacity is there. Certainly is. And if you need to call somebody, call them. Especially the seniors, you know, who are have been staying in for all of these months. You know, it creates depression, mm-hmm. which is not good for seniors at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Uh, Talk about what it's like being a senior. We touched on that at the beginning of the podcast, and I want you to take a few minutes to, to kind of uh, explain to people exactly what you guys go through. This well, patting on the head really was very descriptive and really kind of a bit sad to hear because we get it. Mm-hmm. We talk about how things come full circle when you're a kid. You know, you get patted on the head. You're treated a certain way, and it seems like when you get into later in years, you get treated the same way. People are dismissive of you. Tell me a bit about yes. your story yes. with that. Because um, a lot of people think when you're a senior, you're like what my grandmother was like. You know, if you're 20, 30 years old, no, let me think. Uh, Oh, I don't know how, how old, but I remember my two grandmothers. They looked the same my entire life. Mm -hmm. And they had their infirmities. And they. What does that word mean? Infirmities? Yeah. um, Their illnesses. Oh, gotcha. I've never heard that word. Okay, go ahead. Yes. So, you know, they always had that. Um, uh, They took it slower, Um, they didn't go out very much they just went to the doctor actually mm-hmm. um and you know that's that's was their life um i know when my parents got older um they really didn't want to live to the age that they did um they were ready to die mm-hmm. because they you know they had all of their friends had died you know so, um, but today's seniors, you still have some that, you know, are a wheelchair or a um, cane or something uh, that, you know, will help them get around. And there's still those that um, need medical or surgical assistance. Mm-hmm to be as independent as they can. But there are also seniors who are very, very active. You know, uh, Tai Chi, exercise, art, uh, painting of art, um, uh, going to the opera like they used to have at Mary Pickford. <laughs> mm-hmm. Taking cruises like somebody I know. Yes. I wonder who that could be. I was so... Well, I was upset, but glad that they canceled my cruise this year. Mm-hmm. But I'm ready for next year. Yeah. yeah. But you're a prime example that age is nothing but a number. Like, you are very active. Exactly. Exactly. You know, don't look at me and and look at me and say, okay, she's too old. And just write her off. And try to get somebody younger. Yeah. How can we as people be more compassionate towards senior citizens? What are some things that we could do? Get to know them better. Get to know some of their backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have skills you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just dismiss them. I know um, uh, there are some friends of mine who were uh, really amazed that I had. I once had a three fifty seven Magnum. <laughs> Stub nose. For, snub nose. Stub <laughs> or snub? It's snub, right? <laughs> yes. I forgot to mention this. We were also talking about this. Go ahead. And Lady that, with a gun. Yes. And that um, 
I have several looms, and I was taught by a master weaver. So get to know them. Don't just assume, you know, that, oh, they can't do this, and oh, they can't do that. Did you have that gun for sport or safety? Safety. Do you still have a gun? No. Why do you, why not now? Why then and why not now? Um, because the complex, uh, UK, uh, Oh, gotcha. It's a, okay. If you didn't live in the complex, would you have one? I just might. Gotcha. All right. Mm-hmm. All With right. hollow points. Yeah. So as far as, uh, the second amendment and guns are concerned, you are, you are, you are a fan of guns. Um, for protection. Yeah. But not for, oh, I can shoot somebody now, uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, I think that's a generational thing. I had to ask that, and I know um, for me, I've was always been I've always been anti guns until lately, mm-hmm. which scares me too because I don't want I don't want a gun, but I'm like, do I need to get a gun? Yeah, that exactly. So you know what we're doing here? We're going to slowly begin to wrap this up, but I want to ask you two things before we say goodbye. My first question for you is: We talked about senior citizens. We talked about a, a bit about your background, Black Lives Matter. Is there anything that you would like to add that you would like listeners or viewers to take away? Anything specific? that you brought that you might want to touch on? You can say no, but I'm hoping you got something. Well, there is one thing close to my heart. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, it's the masks. Ah, okay. The wearing of the masks. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why mari- wearing masks are the law. Mm-hmm. Wearing the mask covering your nose and mouth. Because if you're not covering your nose or you're not covering your mouth, you might as well not wear one at all. Mm-hmm. When you think about the people in the hospital, urgent care, there are nurses and doctors who have to wear the same mask for hours. If they're doing a surgery, surgery, if they're doing a procedure, they don't get to take those masks off and change them. It's hot in there. Mm-hmm. We all know that. But, you know, if they can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about, I don't want to wear this, it's stuffy, and it's this and it's that, well, just think of the nurses and doctors. hmm because I'd hate the edict to come if you're not wearing a, uh, a mask, we're not going to care for you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I know it wouldn't come to that, but we never just know. think about it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, so many question marks as we move through time, you never know. That's right. I like this warning. I think that um, it obviously needs to be heard over and over and over again. And as corny as the sounds, I'm going to whip it back to the brand, but it's a great way for you to do your part. We all should be doing our part. Exactly. You know? All right. I'm glad for that. So everybody wear your masks and don't complain about it. Yeah. If you do complain, complain in your head. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You know, keep it in your head. Um, all right. So as we come to a close, I always like to ask my last question. Is there anything that you can kind of lend or offer to the viewers or listeners mm, that's tangible as far as um, a solution, right? Some people have offered uh, some reading materials, uh, movies to watch, things that people can uh, kind of educate themselves on that'll help them combat their own underlying prejudice or, or just begin to be introspective. Is there anything that you can lend to that? Um. Gosh, there are so many documentaries out there. There's so many um, black movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many interracial movies. Mm-hmm. They're old, but they're the first things that a- attach that thought, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, just... Educate yourself. Educate yourself. Mm-hmm. It's important. Um, there are there are movies that people have enjoyed, like Bad Boys, okay. Bad Boys Two. Uh-huh. So why can't you look at other movies? Why why can't you? Um, other movies like what? Um, like The Color Purple. Yes, The mm-hmm. Color per- Purple. Um, I, I just blanked on the other one. Um, Red Tails, Tus- Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. Um, do 
research. Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming out in movies, but do do some research. You know, with pictures. <laughs> with know? pictures, I love that. Yeah, with pictures. She, that's, she's talking to you men right there. <laughs> I like that. Red tails. I'm actually going to pick that one in specific. Uh, do your research. Educate yourself. Watch some movies. Bad Boys 1 or 2 is good, but do better. And a one movie in specific would be Red Tails talking about the Tuskegee Airmen. And one of them yeah. was your father, which right. talk about tying in. And there's also the movie The Tuskegee Airmen. Oh, perfect. So now yes. you have two to choose from. Yes. We love it. Anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? Uh, I'm good. All right. Well, I love you, Brian. I love you too, Beverly, and I'm going to get you back. Okay. Okay. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This was incredibly informative uh, and just beautiful on so many levels. So again, thank you for uh, bringing you and the beautiful dog down. Always thank you, loyal listeners and new ones alike. Make sure to share this, like us on uh, all social media platforms, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks so much. I am absolutely confident that you continue to do your part. Thank you for listening to another episode of Do Your Part. I work at staying awake. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Stay connected with Brian Gallo through social media at Do Your Part Podcast or visit doyourpartpodcast.com. <laughs>